We know that being able to say no is an important skill for leaders, or anybody for that matter. But it's really hard to say no with confidence and professionalism. On this episode, Lois Franco returns to show us how to say no without saying no. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 471. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. One of the things that I love about the listeners in our community is how kind and caring and coach-like that not only people are, but aspire to be. And that is a wonderful value that so many of us hold for leadership and wanting to serve others. And it is a value that sometimes can get us into trouble in that we tend to do more than we should do, or in some cases, even want to do. The skill of being able to say no in an appropriate way is a skill that is worth learning It is a tool that all of us should have in our toolbox, and it is something that most of us are working at getting better at. Today, a guest who is someone who's taught so many leaders how to communicate effectively and how to say no in the right way. I'm so glad to welcome back to the show Lois Frankel. She is the president of Corporate Coaching International and is a best-selling author, executive coach, and an internationally recognized expert in the field of leadership development for women. She has appeared on Larry King Live, The Tavis Smiley Show, The Today Show, and many other places to discuss her New York Times bestselling books, Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office, Nice Girls Don't Get Rich, and Nice Girls Just Don't Get It. She has served diverse clients such as the Walt Disney Company, Amgen, the World Bank, McKinsey & Company, Northrop Grumman, and many others. She also founded two nonprofit organizations, most motivating our students through experience and the Bloom Again Foundation, Sowing Seeds of Health and Hope. Her work with women and girls was recognized through Maybelline New York's Empowerment Through Education Award. Her newest audiobook just released is titled Nice Girls Don't Speak Up or Stand Out, How to Make Your Voice Heard, Your Point Known, and Your Presence Felt. Lois, glad to have you back. Dave, thank you so much for having me back. I enjoyed uh, our other conversations and I love hearing from your listeners who you are right, are very kind and generous. Well, that is the thing that I noticed as well when you were last on. Uh, you've been on once, be- twice before, actually, once with Tom Henschel. And so many folks reached out to both of us and mentioned how useful your advice was and the tactics. And as you taught us last time, this isn't just men and women, although you have mostly worked with women throughout your career, but it is how do we really approach communication in a way that is more effective for the situations we find ourselves in, right? Exactly. Exactly. And so this is a skill that is one, as I mentioned in the introduction, that is is helpful for us to have. When you are working with women in particular around this skill, what opens the door for this conversation? Well, actually, they open the door for me, which is what's really interesting. When I do keynote presentations and I talk about communication, Women often come up to me afterwards and say, I wish I could have you on my shoulder whispering in my ear exactly how I should say this or I should say that. That for women, they sometimes feel like they get tongue-tied 
and they don't have the right words right away, and they don't feel as if they have permission to go back later, if they didn't have the words in the moment, to go back later and say how they felt or what they would like or what they wish they had said, and they think they've just completely missed an opportunity. So my encouragement for women is to understand you can communicate anytime. If you can do it in the moment, so much the better. I'm hoping some of what I teach through my audio book will enable them to do that, but I also want them to know that you can go back and prepare and then revisit the situation and communicate very powerfully. As I was reviewing your work again for this conversation, I am struck by, to a bullet point on everything you mentioned under this topic, every single thing here I've struggled with as well. And so it, it is really a topic that is, I don't, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say it's universal because there are certainly some folks who are very comfortable and very confident in being able to say no when the time is right. But I do think for a lot of us, this is a really difficult point, especially those of us who like to be helpers. Yes, exactly. And it is true that both men and women can suffer from this. And also, it's interesting because sometimes it's different ethnic groups as well struggle with it. Like, for example, I remember when GE brought me in to speak to their Asian accountants, and it wasn't just women. It was Asian accountants because they felt as if the Asians in their country, particularly those who had come from Asia, not necessarily those who had grown up here, but those who had come from Asia, had some stereotypical communication behaviors that were uh, similar to women. So it's across the board, really. And as you said, many times men are taught to communicate more directly, straightforwardly, and so forth. But it doesn't mean everyone either does it or is comfortable doing it. I know one of the reasons that I am not comfortable always saying no is that the perception that if I say no to something, and that is something I wanted to ask you about because I think one of the things that's a stopping point, especially if we want to be a helpful person, we've heard all of the stories about personal branding, jumping in, doing a good job of you know working to the next position, is how to balance saying no with being perceived or at least feeling like we're going to be perceived as unhelpful. How do you walk that line when you're advising people? Yeah, you know, and that's an important one because it's it's why women don't say no more often because it's, there's the, that whole likability factor, right? That people won't like me if I say no, they'll think I'm unhelpful. And if anything, women want to be perceived as helpful. But it's why I say you don't say no, right? I'm a big believer, Dave, in saying yes to almost everything I'm asked. People don't want to hear no. As soon as you hear, if someone hears no, it puts up a wall between them and you. It does make you look as if you're uncooperative in some way. And so I really suggest you need to limit the number of times you say no. Now, with that said, it doesn't mean I don't manage expectations. Okay. Uh-huh. So when someone asks me to do something that I think is unreal, obviously, if it's an illegal or unethical, I will say no. And if it's the hill I want to die on, I'll say no. You know, I had it just the other day. It's one of the few times I said no to a client was uh, they wanted me to change something in my PowerPoint presentation that I felt very strongly belong there. They wanted to change it because there were going to be men in the audience and they thought it might be offensive to men. And I was just talking about uh, man interrupting and appropriating and things like that. And it was the hill I was willing to die on. And I said, you know, I'm not willing to change this PowerPoint 
because that's part of the problem is that we don't say the tough stuff in front of men. Uh-huh. So that was one of the few t- times I uh, said no. But usually I say, you know, I'm happy to do this. Now let me tell you what I can reasonably do within the parameters you're giving me. So let's just say the boss asks you to have something on his or her desk by four o'clock and it's noon, okay? And you're thinking to yourself, wow, this is a big project to have done by four o'clock. I need to do research. I need to proof it. I need to talk to other people. You know, the boss may not even be aware of that. So rather than say, hey, there's no way I could do that, even if that's what you're thinking, yeah, you provide alternatives. You set up the parameters. You say something like, you know, I'm happy to do that. Now, let me tell you realistically, with only four hours, I can't provide a a robust report free from errors and filled with the data you need. I can provide a summary, and I'm more than happy to do that. Now, if you'd like to give me until tomorrow at noon, I could have it fleshed out more. And if you want to give me until tomorrow at five o'clock, I will give you a report that we will all be proud of. Now, you just let me know which is it you want me to do. Mm. And you can hear, I've provided alternatives and I've been realistic about what I can do. I think too often what happens is we say yes to things and then we under-deliver or we underperform because it wasn't realistic to say yes. And then we wind up with egg on our face. Or the alternative is we turn ourselves into a pretzel, right? Yeah. We, we get into a panic and maybe we say, you know, I can't do it by four, but I can have it on your desk at eight o'clock tomorrow morning. Well, then that means you're going to be working all night. So, you know, I think we need to be more realistic about establishing parameters for people and managing expectations. Well, and our friend Tom Henschel makes the point often, and he has on this show, of you are uh, your boss is your biggest customer, right? And so there's a customer service aspect to this of not walking up and saying no, but how do you find a different yes in the context of it? And you say this in the book, how to say no. And then the second part of that phrase is without saying no. And one of the things I'm I'm hearing you say is, it's actually really helpful to literally not utter the word no, unless it's one of the situations you said earlier, like it's you know, a legal or ethical thing, obviously, or you feel super strongly about it. But that's key, right? Is you know being very sparing about when that word actually does show up in your language in a particular sentence. Yes, particularly as it con- it relates to customer service. And Tom is everybody is absolutely right. Your boss is your biggest customer. But so are your colleagues, you know, and so are your direct reports in some ways. I mean, you need them to follow you. So again, it, it, and so look at it this way. We just use an example with a boss, but what if a direct report comes to you with an idea that's really far out and you're thinking, this is really unrealistic, but you don't want to squash their creativity and their, their innovation and the fact that they were thinking about this. So, you know, saying, no, we're not going to do that. I think you create more of a problem than if you talk about, let's talk about what that would look like in real time and how we might be able to make it work. Okay. And having those kinds of discussions rather than saying no. So everybody's really your customer in some ways because you need something from them. 
one of the challenges that I've noticed in myself over the years, and I struggled with this a lot, Lois, was feeling the need to explain and over-explain why I was declining doing something or saying no to something, particularly even in the context where it was not a boss or a reporting relationship. Do you find that when you're working with people that that is a struggle that folks have also? Yeah, they they do feel as if they have to over-explain, that they owe it to people to explain why they're not going to do it. And I think that that's a trap because as soon as we start to explain, the other person's thinking about how do they counter those objections, right? So if I start to explain and I say, well, you know, I've got a lot of things on my desk right now. And to be able to get to this, I'm going to have to let something else go. You can almost hear somebody saying, well, that's okay, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can let something else go. And so there are better ways to handle those delicate situations rather than explaining yourself. I mean, the fact is, is, you know, whenever I think of explanations, Dave, I think about, you know, as a child, we often say, young man or young young lady, explain yourself, Um, right? So whenever somebody's at the point where they have to explain, it's usually because they've done something wrong. And so I really want to see both men and women get out of that place, feeling as if they have to explain and understanding that they have the right to make a decision or to offer alternatives with like, just as I did with the boss situation. Okay. Just realistically saying, here's, here's what's reasonable given the amount of time, resources, or money we have for this project with no explanation. Uh, that's super helpful because I'm I'm curious for those who find themselves in that place where someone comes to us and <laughs> I love what you said about when we're young explain yourself and we do feel like suddenly even with a request that's not under our umbrella or on our reader screen that we do owe the person a really detailed explanation as to why we're saying no when you're working with people to begin to break that habit a bit where do you start The place where I would start is to focus on what you do want to say, not what you don't want to say, okay? So I'm not going to work with someone and say, stop explaining yourself, because because that's hard to do. To say stop doing something is harder than to say start doing something. So I think where I would start is to say, when someone catches you at a place where you feel you need to say no and you want to explain, instead replace that with saying yes and let me tell you what this will look like given the amount of time, resources, whatever is available. Again, it's turning it into how can I be the best at client service as I possibly can? Because again, you don't want to say no. You want to say yes and, and so I think that's what I would tell people. That's the place to start. It, you know, I always think it's hard to tell people to stop doing things, yeah. right? None yeah. of us like to stop doing things. But if I could replace it with a more productive behavior, then that would make more sense. And I love the invitation of what to do versus what not to do. And for me, it sounds like we're framing the response. We're still giving the other person some agency in the conversation, but we're putting a 
bracket around the here's what I can do. And I think it probably goes without saying that bracket looks different depending on if that person is your boss versus a colleague versus a customer and all those different stakeholders. But it is a bracket. And here's what I can do within that bracket to work with you to achieve the goal, right? Exactly. And sometimes it's asking for more of what you need to meet their needs. So I'm trying to think of an example with a a client. You know, I'm just trying to think in our business as consultants, if a client asks for something unreasonable, what I'll often say is, you know, I'm happy to do that. Now, let me tell you, it's outside the parameters of our agreed upon contract. So it's going to cost an additional X number of dollars. And if that's okay with you, I'll move forward with it. But I just want you to be aware of that. Mm. And it is amazing to me how often that conversation's not had, having hired people in the past, and all of a sudden, like you get a bill a couple of weeks later, and you're like, oh, interesting. There was never a conversation about this. We didn't even know we had gone beyond the boundary of something. And it's a really a necessity for us to be able to have that conversation. It, it really is, because when you don't have that conversation, you wind up creating resentment and you damage relationships. Now, someone can always come back to you and say, oh, I didn't expect that. That's kind of out of my budget. And then you might go back and say, well, let's talk about how we could, both of our needs could get met. Maybe there's something that's in the contract you don't really need. We can take that out. We'll swap it out for this, which you would like. So again, it's about creative problem solving. It's not about saying, no, it's not doable. It's about yes and. Let's Uh, talk about how we make this work out or what it's going to cost you. Or in the example with the boss, you know, if you want it by four o'clock, what I'm going to need is three people to work with me, one to do the research, one who's going to be available to do the proofing on an ongoing basis, and one to be able to do a couple of quick phone calls to get more data. And again, you always say, it's your choice. What would you like? Yeah, yeah, indeed. So the part that I'm wondering about here on that, and I'm thinking like 80% of the situations I've run into were saying no was the place I wanted to go and I and I didn't and I regretted it later, fall in that category of I, you know, I really could have done a much better job of framing the response in the context of expectations and a yes. There's the other 20% though of things that are just completely like I, there's no negotiation. <laughs> Right. Like, I don't want anything to do with this. It's a completely unreasonable request, completely out of left field. When people run into those, what's a way to respond that it, because you may not necessarily want to do like a yes and in that kind of situation? Yeah, that's a good point. And I actually, those are sticky situations. And in the book, I have some typical phrases that you could use in those situations. So, you know, I might say something like, I would love to be able to do that. At the same time, if you could see what's on my desk at the moment, you'd know that I couldn't possibly get to this for months. And I know that you need this right away. Could I make some suggestions about other people who might be available to provide you with that service? Oh, nice. Okay. And sometimes it's that you changed your mind, right? And it may be that you had said yes at one point, but things have changed. And you may need to go back. You may need to say, I know, Dave, that we talked about that. At the same time, I didn't expect that it was going to take so long to come to a final decision. And at this point, I filled my calendar with other clients or other activities or other events. 
And so I'm really sorry that I'm not available. Let's see if we can find someone who is. The fewer words you use, you always strengthen a message. So, right? So if you think about that, more words soften, fewer words strengthen. So that if somebody came to me and I didn't want to do it, if I said, no way, no how, that's a strong message, but it also damages the relationship. So just by adding the few words, and it's not an, an explanation. I'm not explaining to you fully why I can't do this. I'm saying, I would love to do that. At the same time, if you could see what's on my desk, you'd understand why it's not possible for months. And then you turn it into problem solving. So let's talk about how I could help you get your needs met. I love one of the phrases you have in the book too, of, uh, and you say, I'm flattered. And at the same time, I'm not able to accept your offer. And yes. I, I really, that resonates with me a lot because it's, it's like, gosh, you know, I am, even if it's not something I want to do or have an interest in doing, it is really flattering to be asked for help in most situations, right? And so you can genuinely say, I'm really flattered that you asked and it's, an, it's not something I can help out with. And then to your point, you know, who can I put you in touch with? What are the other resources? That kind of a thing then helps the person find the right resource for them. Exactly. If you can point people in a direction. And does that take a little bit of extra time and effort? Yes. But again, you know, I'm a big believer in maintaining relationships. And when you need a relationship, it's too late to build it. So it's important to maintain good relationships, 360 degree relationships all the time. And you don't do that by being short or curt or disrespectful to people. I want to loop back to something you said a moment ago of changing your mind. And that is also a place I've struggled with, I've seen other people struggle with of, well, I said that I would do this three weeks ago, and now I have a lot more information or context has changed or whatever, and it's not going to make sense without me working a crazy schedule, working weekends, that kind of thing to be able to do. And I think the challenge I've had is like, oh, I said, yes, I can't possibly change my mind anymore. How do you suggest we approach that? Like when we have come to the conclusion of like, oh my goodness, like what did I just get myself into to allow us to say, hey, we we actually can change our minds sometimes. Yeah. You know, I think people have to understand that we make a decision in the moment for the best of all possible reasons, right? I don't think people make bad decisions. I think we make decisions based on the data we have. And so it's for the best of all possible reasons in the moment. Then, as you said, as I get more data, or my situation has changed, or the other person's situation has changed, the scenario is different. It's not the same thing I said yes to. It's an entirely different scenario. And so that understanding that with new data, with additional time that has passed, with my needs changing, I'm allowed to renegotiate because that's really what it's about. It's about renegotiating. And many people aren't, the same people usually, who aren't comfortable learning to say no. And I think now we understand when I say no, it's in the context of saying no and working with people to make sure that their needs get met in other ways and setting parameters. But the same people who often can't say no are the people who don't negotiate. So that willingness to go back and renegotiate a situation. And as I said, being remember more words you use. And that's the that's the beauty, I think, of this new book, is that I always say it's not one technique. So for example, there's one section in the book on saying no, but there's a hundred other sections that say you put this all together. Yeah. So putting it's putting 
together saying no with saying things like, be that as it may, when I did say that, the situation was different. And so now with the data that I have and the time that has passed, what I realize is this. Mm. And you go back and you renegotiate. Yeah. And for me, at least, and and I've seen this a lot of times, it's the going back. It's like, it's actually starting that conversation that is hard. When you've worked with leaders to help them to get better at just like, okay, first of all, I can change my mind. And thinking about how to then have that conversation for someone who's not done that before, what's helpful for them? Yeah, I think what's helpful is this technique that's called contrasting. And the technique suggests that, you know, I contrast what I don't want you to think with what I do want you to think. So for example, Dave, if I needed to cancel today's interview, if I went to you, contrasting would sound like this. Dave, I don't want you to think that this interview isn't important to me because it truly is. At the same time, when we made the appointment, I had absolutely no idea that I was going to get called in to handle a client crisis. And so I need to indefinitely postpone the interview. For that, I apologize and I appreciate your understanding. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And it's as simple as that. It's, it's what I don't want and what I do want. And I think once you can say that, if you can just put it out in that context, it could be the boss. You know, if, if you say to the boss, I don't want you to think that I don't want to do this for you because I do want to do it and I am going to do it. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I need to be realistic about how this could get done with the quality that I know you want and in the time frame that we have. I like that contrast of the here's here's what I can't do and here's what I can do. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's nice. The other thing that I was thinking about in the context of this, and I've definitely made this mistake before. In fact, maybe I'll share a brief story. I For years, I when I worked for Dale Carnegie, I was one of the folks in our office who just, I don't, I'm not an IT person, but I've always been very tech savvy. And people would come to me for tech help. And I loved to help because often I could solve problems very quickly. We didn't have to then call a consultant or anything like that. And I realized one day, this was years into it, Lois, all of a sudden I'd help someone with something. And I remember sitting at my computer and I sat back for a second and I thought, how did I get into this? And it had been years that I had been providing tech support for our office, basically. And it was probably a couple hours a week on average. And it was not at all part of my job description. And I realized I just at one point had decided that that is what I did. And I had just told myself, like, I'm saying yes to this and I need to keep saying yes to this. And it took me years to figure it out. But I realized one day, like, just because I've said yes to this for three or four years doesn't mean I need to keep saying yes to it. And I realized that I think a lot of us get into this pattern of because we've said yes to something for so long that we're not then able to or allowed to change our mind to our earlier comment and conversation about that. When that happens, when you want to really change your behavior on something that maybe it's been going on a while, what have you found has been helpful to people? You know, I think that's a place where some explanation is required because when we change our behavior in a relatively dramatic way, right? Because you're doing this tech support and all of a sudden you're not going to be doing it. 
And it makes it seem as if all of a sudden you've drawn a line in the sand, you're being uncooperative or you don't care. And you certainly don't want to communicate that. And so I think it's a place where some negotiation and explanation is required. And so being, and being able to go, go to people and say, just say at a staff meeting, say, hey, look, I know that I took on the, the tech support for the past few years and I was happy to do it. At this point, my workload has gotten to the point where I can no longer do it. And so I'd like to know who might like to be trained for it. Who else would like to take it over? Seems like the kind of thing where we all have a lot of expertise now. When we began, I had the expertise. We all have a lot of expertise, so we can either rotate, we can assign someone. How would you like to change this scenario so that I'm not the only one that it falls on and I'm not the only one who then is is having to work late and stay overtime to get my other work done. So something like that where I do give an explanation, I say the obvious and I move it into problem solving. And you can see so often that's what I'm doing is moving it into problem solving. I'm not dropping a problem in someone's lap. Ah, yeah. And I love what you said there because I heard two things really clearly in that explanation. One is the acknowledgement that I've done this for a while and that I did this for whatever reason, right? And then also, secondly, the clear going forward, I'm making a different decision. And here's what that will look like. And here's how we can solve that together. So it's actually what you just said a moment ago. It's the contrast, right? It's a, here's what I did. And now here's going forward. What's the difference? And those both together to then be the foundation for, okay, how do we solve this? Exactly. And as I said, you know, I don't think every situation requires an explanation, but certainly when you've been doing something for three years and you are going to change that, it's going to be dramatic for people. They're going to notice. It's not something that you can just kind of stop doing and nobody notices because, you know, sometimes we do things and we keep doing them because in psychological terms, it's called superstitious behavior. I think if I stop doing it, something catastrophic is going to happen, uh, right? Yeah. I think people won't like me or this will happen or that. And it's usually superstitious behavior. There's, there's usually nothing rational behind it. You know, in the situation that you gave, there was something rational. You, it was a tangible skill that you were providing. But many times we just do things and nobody cares that we yeah. stop or they don't notice. And so you don't have to give the explanation. You need to be able to say to yourself, hey, look, I, got, I have to live with this feeling of something catastrophic is going to happen. But let me give it a try and see what happens. So part of this is also saying no to ourselves, too, of recognizing those patterns that may not be really useful. I'm wondering if you could think of an example in yourself where you've seen that, like something you've done as a practice and then realized, like, well, maybe this isn't something that is adding value. Oh, sure. You know, and I, I get caught up in this all the time, too, because I really am a nice girl. You know, I am a nice girl that often says yes to things that I wish I hadn't. We, you know we write the books that we need to read ourselves, right? Exactly. That is absolutely true. You know, so one of the things that for me is you know, since I started my coaching practice, when I would complete an engagement, I would write a coaching report for my client. And that coaching report would be a summary of just about everything we talked about. It would be, here was the presenting problem. Here are my suggestions. Here are some things you can do to achieve that. Resources, all kinds of stuff. The report would usually be anywhere between six and eight pages. It would take me hours to do one report because obviously I'd have to go back. I'd have to look at what did we talk about and so forth. Yeah. Then I realized 
that people weren't reading them. And I was thinking, why am I continuing to do this when people aren't reading these? And I started talking to other coaches and they were saying, well, we just do a one-page summary. Here are some coaching suggestions for you. And I thought, well, that's the easy way out, just, you know, one-page summary. And I thought, yeah, but I want to distinguish myself from other people. I want to show the quality of my coaching is better. Oh, well, yeah. That was, yeah. But that was superstitious behavior. Nobody knows. My clients don't know what other coaches are giving their clients. <laughs> so, so there was a place where I could buy several hours, quite a few hours, a week back, not have to work on a Saturday to write a coaching plan. When nobody cared anyway. Uh, yeah. How many years did you do that where you were writing the six day page? <laughs> oh, way too long. I did, I did it for 10 years. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, no, way too long. Uh, well, in the thank you for sharing that example. And we all have a six or eight page report somewhere. So every, we all have that. Something we're doing for hours a week, maybe, that we've decided we care about that a lot for whatever reason. And the rest of the world is just kind of sailing by and hasn't really seen that as a value add for the work that we're doing. So it's it's a it's a really good checkpoint for each one of us. Yes, it is. You said something earlier about this book, and there is so much here. I have cherry-picked this in this one topic on how to say no without saying no, but the book has so much more in it. So if you found Lois's advice helpful today, the book is Nice Girls Don't Speak Up or Stand Out, How to Make Your Voice Heard, Your Point Known, and Your Presence Felt. It's available on audiobook. We'll have all the links in this week's weekly leadership guide. Lois, I have one other question for you. I didn't ask you somehow last time when you were on. Leaders are always learning. They're growing. You are learning from your clients and the people you serve. What have you changed your mind on in the last few years? You know, what I've changed my mind on is that I don't have to be so nice about the progress that women have made in the world. You know, as we said, we write the books we need to read, and I've written this Nice Girl series of books, and I consider myself a recovering nice girl. And I certainly have found my voice in many ways. You know, as a matter of fact, it's really pretty interesting because I, I recently had a birthday, and my cousin wrote me a letter, and I was very surprised. It was a very heartfelt letter. And she said, I remember you as the little blonde girl who would always sit quietly while the rest of us were being rowdy and getting in trouble. Uh-huh. And, she, and she said, and you certainly have changed in terms of finding your voice. So, so I, I know I've changed in that regard, but I think until recently, I also didn't want to make any waves and make anybody feel bad about the progress that women have made. And at this age and at this stage of my life, you know, I'm ready to say it's not okay. I'm ready to say to whoever wants to listen, it's not okay that we don't have parity on the Supreme Court. It's not okay that we've never had a woman president. It's not okay that women are treated the way they are. And things have to change significantly. And that I am all in for getting more women elected to public office. I am all in for getting more women promoted to be CEOs of companies and be in positions of power because until we do that, this world is not going to change. And so I think where I've changed my mind is that I used to say I need to be the water that wears away the rock and just do it gently and that the rock will wear away. Well, doing this now for uh, over 40 years, close to 50 years, I'm ready to say, no, I don't have to be the water. I can be the dynamite. 
and I'm kind of going in that direction. Lois Frankel, so glad for your work. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Dave. It's been always a pleasure. If this conversation was helpful to you, several related episodes I'd recommend, one of them uh, with Lois as well, episode 386, Unconscious Mistakes Women Make. Uh, In that conversation, Lois and I talked about several of the strategies that she teaches women featured in her book, Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office. Uh, So much of Lois's work has been, of course, working and supporting women leaders over the years, and uh, so much in that conversation that was helpful to many of you. If you haven't heard that before, I'd recommend episode 386. Also, in episode 392, Lois and I and Tom Henschel joined us for that conversation, talked about why men are heard and women are liked. And we talked through some of the gender dynamics that all three of us tend to see in organizations, some of the things that we all aspire to, and also some of the realities that we all need to navigate around and some of the practical ways for doing that. So that's episode 392. And then finally, I'd recommend also episode 416, a related conversation to this, how to negotiate when others have power. My guest was Kwame Christian on that show. Kwame is an expert in negotiation. And of course, when others have power and we are entering into negotiation with them, there's a lot of no's and yeses that come out in that conversation. Kwame is just so gifted at helping leaders and really professionals at all level to navigate those conversations well. Episode 416 is a wonderful starting point if you find yourself negotiating and perhaps not feeling like it is a strength for you, as many of us do feel when we go into negotiations. Episode 416, a great starting point for you. All of those past episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you have not yet set up your free membership, take just a few seconds to do so on the coachingforleaders.com homepage. When you do, you're going to get access to my weekly leadership guide that comes every Wednesday featuring all of the episode notes from every episode, everything I found online that I think will be helpful to you throughout the week in your leadership development. Also, you'll get the access to the entire library on the website, searchable by topic. This conversation is tagged under personal leadership. We have had so many conversations over the years relating to personal leadership. Of course, leadership is just centered around us first leading ourselves well. If we lead ourselves well, we can then have the privilege and the opportunity to lead others. Doesn't mean we're at the center of the universe by any means, quite the contrary, but we do need to lead by example. And that begins with us. So many conversations around that over the years. So check that out online and join in with 25,000 of you that have jumped in on the free membership. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Bonnie back to the show. It's the first Monday of the month, but rather than responding to questions, we're going to discuss a question in detail we've both gotten a lot in the past few weeks, how to run an online meeting. See you for that conversation next Monday. Take care, everybody.